0: Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Margaret Walls. A quick note before we begin, if you're a regular listener to Resources Radio, you might be wondering why you're hearing my voice. Where's Kristen Hayes or Daniel Ramey, you may ask? Well, I've joined the podcast team and we'll be hosting about one episode per month going forward. I'm a senior fellow at RFF, where I work on issues related to climate and disaster risks and resilience, public lands, conservation and parks, and environmental justice. I'm looking forward to covering all of these topics on the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to welcome my first guest, Eli Fenechel. Eli is currently Assistant Director for Natural Resource Economics and Accounting in the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, or OSTP. Eli is on leave from Yale University, where he is the Knobloch Family Professor of Natural Resource Economics in the Yale School of the Environment. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Eli about natural resource accounting and the exciting new development from the Biden-Harris administration about how to build the value of natural resources and the environment into government economic statistics. Stay with us. So Eli, we like to start our podcast with a question, finding out a little background about our guests. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your own personal journey toward natural resource economics?
1: Sure, thank you, Margaret, and thank you for having me on. Uh, This is really exciting and fun. Um, So I think it it started when I was a freshman in college. Uh, I was studying ecology. I had to take my mandatory economics course uh, went home for Thanksgiving and my father says to me like, you know, you're studying wildlife management. You can make all the rules you want. It's not the deer who have to listen. And I said, oh, that's what I've been learning in economics. Uh, went into the Peace Corps after undergrad um, and found myself using a lot more of what I'd actually learned in my economics courses as I was working on environmental problems um, and conservation. So that pretty much put me on on this shift to to really thinking economics was important for those of us who think about the environment.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Our parents have a lot of influence on us, I guess, is the lesson there. Um, So let's talk about what you're on today for. Um, And let me give a little background to our listeners about what's happened this year. So on Earth Day back in April, the Biden-Harris administration announced a plan to start developing the first ever system of natural capital accounts for the United States, official statistics on the value of nature, if you will, that would be eventually incorporated in some way into the government's regular reporting of economic statistics and aligned with the national income and product accounts. So after the announcement, there was an interagency working group established and that was co-led by your office, OSTP. And then in June and July, the working group had um, a series of round tables with stakeholders and experts to get input. And then in mid-August, a strategic plan was released, which laid out a path forward. So we're going to talk to you, Eli. I'm going to ask you some questions about this for our listeners to give you a little guidepost here. We're going to sort of talk about why there's a need for natural capital accounting in our government statistics, um, why and how incorporating nature into these economic accounts would could make a difference, like where is it going to change things? what's in this new national strategy that was just released, and the next steps going forward. And then I'm going to try to close and get Eli to talk a little bit about his own research, because he's exactly the right person to be leading this effort. And um, I want to hear what he has to say about that, and maybe uh, important topics for his own and other people's research. So let's get started. So first, Eli, it might help everyone if you could educate us a little bit, as set some important background. What are the national income of product accounts? What's in them? How are they constructed? Just a little bit of how we're doing things now.
1: Sure. Thanks, Margaret. Um, I think that's a really important question because if you're going to evolve something or build onto something, it's helpful to know what you're starting with. Most people listening in have probably heard the acronym GDP or gross domestic product. Many listeners probably go, yeah, I've heard of that, but actually I'm not quite sure what it is, but it seems to be really important. Um, And what gross domestic product measures, the way I like to think about it, is it measures the marketable output of the country. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, it's the closest thing we have to measuring economic progress, but if you actually read the rules on page two or something, it says this is not a measure of economic progress or a measure of economic welfare or a measure of economic well-being. Please don't use it that way. Off we go. Under the hood of GDP are the national income and product accounts. And what those are, if you can imagine this, these are massive tables of different sectors of the economy and who's producing what, who's buying what they're producing, And it's showing how the economy fits together. And this was done because back in the 1920s, we tried to measure rail card loadings. We tried to measure all these like random pieces of the economy and people were starting to understand, wait a minute, the economy is like this big thing. And it's not just how much stuff we put on rail cars. It's all interactive and we need some way to get our heads around the interactivity of it. So the national income and product accounts uh, were started. When they talk about sectors, they include things that you might think about industries like the automobile industry or or manufacturing. They also include hospitals and schools, government activities, a wide range of activities. This can be put together a couple different ways. It can be measured how much are we producing, how much are we consuming and buying. But it's not just what we buy that's important for our economic lives and the services or the, the well-being we experience. Nature plays an important role, but nowhere in there does nature enter those tables. The other bit of this that's really important to understand is I think of the national income and product accounts mostly like my checking account in the sense that it really is about current flows of production and consumption. But I, when I'm planning, I actually want to think about what's in my savings account, what's in my retirement account. You know, If I'm thinking about long-term plans, well, fortunately, the nation also has a, a national balance sheet with sort of its capital holdings or what we have invested in. Again, nature is missing from that balance sheet. And there are there's actually a place on the balance sheet uh, for many of our natural resources. Many countries are starting to fill those out. Now the U.S. is too.
0: Right. That's really interesting. Um, so you said that nature is missing. So and a little bit about why this is a big deal. I mean, maybe you could Firm that up a little bit with some specific examples of exactly what's missing and how that might affect decisions maybe that the government makes or even private sector makes or tell us why this is really important.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's think about it this way is we're trying to manage where we are investing in our future. We could invest in schools, we could invest in new infrastructure, we could put money in a stock market or invest in sort of capital markets and firms. We could also invest in nature or natural infrastructure. We could think about the role of sand dunes and protecting houses. We could think about the role of wetlands in, in mitigating floods. We can think about the recreational opportunities that they provide that people might not have to pay an entrance fee for. We can think about the role that uh, fish populations play in both feeding people and and providing recreational opportunities the importance of pollinators in growing many fruits and vegetables, uh, the role of forests in providing timber for houses and places for recreation. There's all these things, how nature is intertwined with the decisions that we make. The problem is that if you thought about progress and we leave out some of those sectors and we're trying to get some big indicators about how we're doing. Well, again, if you go back to this sort of checking account analogy, It's kind of like if we want to say, well, how well off are we doing? Well, let's just look at how much money is in our checking account. And if I can always sort of move money from a savings account into a checking account, but I don't actually pay attention to like maybe a savings account that maybe my parents set up for me or something that I just sort of got. And I'm always just moving money into the the checking account. I get a really bad indicator of how well I'll be able to consume what I'll be able to do in the future. This is kind of what's going on with nature right now is. We have been doing this for a hundred years. The United States has amazing natural resources and we've been able to continually sort of borrow from nature and build up and and draw down on those resources. And now, as we think about uh, making new investments in in infrastructure and nature-based solutions and combating climate change, if we invest in nature, we want it to show up somewhere. Otherwise, it looks like we're just sort of spending out money. And we're not. We're actually making real investments in things that can protect us from climate change, help control flooding, provide uh, recreational opportunities, etc.
0: Right. Yeah, those are great examples. I'm wondering, Eli, did anything, any specific examples of the importance of nature come out of your stakeholder engagement process, things that you learned through that process that resonated with you?
1: Yeah. So I think that There was a lot of interesting things we learned through our stakeholder engagement process. I think I've been engaged with this uh, area for quite a a while. So big picture, a lot of the what about this, what about that, um, I'd heard other people bring up. I, I think one thing that's interesting is how concerned some of the food processing industry is around things like pollinators and how they see changes in natural resources creating supply chain risk and wanting to understand those dependencies better. But I think the thing that struck me the most was we dealt with stakeholders from many different areas, many different backgrounds, political views, etc. And they were all pretty enthusiastic about this, often for very different reasons. But they all agreed that it was going to help them have more constructive conversations with people who are coming at resource allocation, whether it is monetary resource allocation or nature resource allocation, having more constructive conversations. And to me, that's sort of the North Star. And that's what our national income and product accounts do. That's really what GDP does at the end of the day. I don't think the GDP number itself enters into any specific decision. Uh, very directly, but it helps everybody start and have a constructive conversation around the economy. And that's what we want to do with nature too.
0: Right. That's great. Yeah. That's interesting. The supply chain uh, issue, which everybody's talking about now anyway, that that came out of your discussions. That's really interesting. Um, So let's talk about what's in this new strategy that came out in August. There's three high level kind of recommendations. So can you tell us what those three are?
1: Yeah, so the three high-level recommendations that came out are first, we actually don't need a new agency. We have a lot of expertise distributed across the federal government. Uh, I guess this is one of the things that happens when you ask economists to put together a, a plan to do something as we try and figure out how to do that as efficiently as possible. Uh, it's kind of, I think, in our DNA. Um, but the the fact that we have this uh, expertise distributed all across the federal government, uh, it also helped us identify some of that the, really what I would call institutional barriers or challenges of working closely together. Um, And a lot of our plan is aimed at removing some of those barriers. Many of those barriers are actually, I would say, informal and cultural, but they're also just coordination concerns, Um, making sure that things are prioritized in a way across agencies that people actually have the capacity and the ability to work together. So I think that was one of the first things was focusing in on we have the expertise and let's use and build on the expertise we have and the research that's been done. The second was we need to do this well, we need to do it deliberately, that's gonna take time. Let's lay out a, this should be planned to take place over the next 15 years, not over the next 15 months. Um, And we need to, again, look at the fact that researchers in various agencies Uh, across the federal government have been doing research on how do you do environmental economic statistics? How do you do natural capital accounting at least since the 1990s? And the the challenges are our system is really spread out. So we want to take that research. We want to use that expertise and coordination to go from research through experimental accounts where we're sort of kicking the tires and make sure things are working the way we think they are through the core statistical products that get sort of the stamp of approval of the chief statistician of the United States that says like these are core statistics they have the backing of the US government they're perfectly fine to use Uh, no concerns about using them in policy analysis Um, here you go and that's going to take time the third uh, recommendation We do acknowledge and we think the underlying data putting together those massive tables and connecting the massive tables related to the environment with the massive tables related to the economy, super important and we don't want to overlook that. We also recommend having a helpful headline summary indicator to help focus the conversation and and sort of be that opening door just like GDP is. Uh, We're thinking of this as the change in natural asset wealth over time. And the reason we want to focus on this is as natural capital becomes more plentiful uh, or increases in value, we want to see this number rise. And as as natural resources or the value of natural resources declines, perhaps because they've been degraded, we would like to see that fall. One idea we have is that, look, if GDP is going up and our, our wealth and natural assets are going up, then we know we're probably generally at the big picture avoiding the problem of taking from one pot and sticking it in the other pot to make it look like we're doing well. So if they're both going up together, that's great. If they're both going down, we have an unambiguous problem. If they're moving in opposite directions, maybe there's some policy tweaks we can do to make them move uh, together, hopefully up and and, and have a, again, a more informed multi-dimensional conversation about the complexity of the country again, I think of this kind of like flying an airplane, is I don't really wanna be in an airplane where the pilot's only looking at one gauge. And I certainly think our environment and our economy are probably more complex than any airplane flying today.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Just a a quick question on this um, statistic that would be sort of the change in um, natural asset wealth, I think is the term that you used. I'm wondering if we'll get used to that over time and seeing that and trusting that number. I guess I'm going to kind of preview another question I'm going to ask you in a minute, but it's about... You know, measuring these things that are not traded in markets, and I'm one, one wondering if people will be have some skepticism about the number. But then I'm thinking to myself, they probably had the same feeling about GDP when we first started generating that number. Now we all just look at GDP, and we know we think we know what it is. Um, so, what is your feeling about this? Like, would you think that we'll get to that point where this will be a, a regularly reported statistic that we'll all get used to using and thinking about?
1: Yeah, so the, the the goal in the plan is to produce that annually. Some stakeholders would like to see it quarterly. Others are saying maybe it doesn't have to be annually, but our, our initial goal is to get to an annual production and update. Um, the reality is that the statistical community that produces GDP continues to argue about how do you value different things? How, how, should, how should owner-occupied housing be valued in GDP is a big one. How should cell phones be valued? How should personal computers be valued? These things that are so fundamental to our economy, there's still very lively debates about how they should be valued and included in GDP. If we're doing that, if we're still debating like the best way to value air quality or is this an improvement in valuing water quality or, or, or water quantity or urban green spaces in 70 years, we're doing something correct not doing something wrong. And I do hope that we will get used to saying, you know, this is useful. Uh, I think certainly when GDP started, I think people were more aware of some of the shortcomings and some of the warts, if you will. Certainly Simon Kuznets, who was one of the pioneers of the National Income and Product Accounts here in the United States, wrote at length about the shortcomings of GDP and to be careful with how we use it um, in the 1940s. and I. I certainly see the same thing happening now. The goal here is to be useful and practical.
0: Yeah, good point. So what what are the next steps, Eli, in this process?
1: Right, so we had a public comment period and we've gotten uh, a bunch of comments back from uh, engaged citizens and experts about this plan. We are going through those comments and revising. We are also doing more outreach to our agencies in the federal government. We Like I said, I think we're somewhere in the order of 20 different agencies now engaged in this work and we are revising the plan. Hopefully for early 2023, we will be able to finalize our 15-year strategic plan. And and the caveat with finalizing a 15-year strategic plan is that's not setting it in stone. Uh, I would be kind of sad if in five or 10 years, people aren't going, you know, we've learned some stuff and these guys didn't. Got this bit a little bit wrong, and we need to tweak. Um, that's something I'll expect. So that's what I mean by final. It's not set, you know, but it's going to launch us on a fifteen year adventure um, to really move from research poor loosely coordinated research to well coordinated core statistical products. Uh, so those are their next our our next immediate steps. While it's being a fifteen year plan, I also want to be clear. Uh, When you read through the plan, you will see that as early as I believe the end of 2023, we should start to see some of these research projects get formulated into early stage experimental accounts. And we're very optimistic about that. So we're not going to wait 15 years to have something useful, but we need to do this in a phased way because if you look at the phases, for example, in the first phase, we want to produce a land account. The U.S. is one of the few developed countries that doesn't have land on its national balance sheet um, right now. We also, in the second phase, we want to produce a forest account. Forests are incredibly important in the U.S. We're one of the most, I think we're one of the most forested countries in the world, right? Like, certainly, you know, in one of the most forested developed countries. and. The challenge of that is we kind of need to know what the land accounts are going to look like so we understand how they're going to interact with the forest accounts so we don't wind up double counting. And so this is why the phase-in is also important.
0: Yeah, got it. So you mentioned um, a little bit of other countries. What other countries are doing this kind of thing, if any? and Are they in any way farther along than us or?
1: Yeah, so the U.S. is, Different than other countries in this respect. There are lots of other countries that are very excited about natural capital accounting and environmental economic statistics, uh, or, or both. Um, there is a UN Statistics Division led coordinated international statistical standard called the System of Environmental Economic Accounts. It's sometimes called SIA. Uh, the first part of that, I believe, was agreed to in 2012. And then Last year, it was expanded to cover more pieces of the environment, uh, basically ecosystems. And the UN statistics division reports that about 90 countries are implementing some element of that international standard. Specific countries of interest that I would say for the United States are the United Kingdom has been developing natural capital accounts, I believe since 2014. And it's really nice. You can start to see, we've started to be able to see how those accounts have been evolving and have been helping do exactly what we hope our accounts will do here, which is shaping the conversation around how the environment interacts with the economy there. Uh, Australia just released a really interesting marine natural capital account that covered things like mangroves and seagrasses and blue carbon. Uh, Canada has launched a census of the environment. that's pulling many of these elements together. The Netherlands, Germany, Mexico are all developing pieces of of these accounts. India has been doing a fair bit of work on environmental economic statistics. I think where the US is unique is we have a lot of expertise. And we also are one of the few countries, now that we have a plan out in public that really charts a long-term vision for where this is going. Uh, I, I think a lot of these other countries have just been developing and adhering to the international standard and without, you know, they, they might have a long term plan, but it, I, I haven't seen one out in public. Maybe they have them internally. I don't want to like throw anyone under the bus. Uh, so it, you could say that a lot of other countries kind of look like they're out ahead of the U.S. on this. But again, the U.S. has a lot of expertise and I've been involved in the international community for a number of years, and there's always U.S. folks. Around at these meetings, where other countries, you know, seem to be dabbling and helping other countries develop these, so we we actually have the expertise. We have a lot of great data. One of the interesting things about the U.S. statistical system is it is really spread out across our entire government. Um, we have thirteen principal statistical agencies. So this project is co-chaired by the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, and that is where the chief statistician of the united states sits and her job is to coordinate these 13 principal statistical agencies plus i've lost count because it seems like there's more every time i ask what the number is but maybe a hundred statistical programs across the other agencies in 2018 there was a new law called the evidence act that really formalized this all of government approach to our statistical system and so We have a lot of coordination challenges, but we also have a lot of expertise. And so the way I like to think about this is if this were like a race, the U.S. kind of looks behind, but that's because we're on an inside lane.
0: (laughs) Right. Well put. Well put. And I I just want to encourage our listeners to go online and, and read this national strategy document because it is meaty. It has a lot in it. Um, And then the title of it is National Strategy to Develop Statistics for Environmental Economic Decisions. So when you you say we have a lot of expertise, some of that is coming out in this document, in my opinion. It's really good. Um, I want to ask a quick question about research, because you have a lot of great research in this area. You're just the right person to be doing this work at OSTP. But tell me something about the frontiers of research in this area. What do you think needs to be done? If you can just say quickly some thoughts you have about that.
1: Yeah, so I thought I knew a lot about this before I dove in on this project, and I've learned so much. So I I certainly think there is work to be done. And it's interesting because there's work in many different fields to be done. So I think there's administrative research that needs to be done and legal research and accounting research, particularly related to classification and taxonomy systems. And how do you actually organize, like what are useful categories? And then how do you develop those categories to be rigid enough to provide comparability, flexible enough to be operational. I think this is a really important area in accounting research. I think there's some interesting computer science and data engineering research related to interoperability. How do we extract, um, transform and load all of the amazing environmental data, the torrent of it that's just coming in. So agencies like NASA are involved in this, Uh, automation. How do we allow research to be scalable and replicable? I think this is a big, a big challenge and how do we use things like our space based observation um, and digital transactions to really, really make these statistics meaty. Um, So I think there's sort of this computer science data research questions and economics. I think there are important questions about how do we adapt tools from benefit cost analysis where we have a lot of experience in environmental economics and doing valuation to the accounting context, which has. Some different requirements. Uh, I think there are also some sort of economic theoretical questions around something called index number theory that we probably don't have time to get into, that's just sort of a passion (laughs) of mine. Um, But I, I think that and I also think that there's like a lot of great interdisciplinary work about Let's, let's you know skate to where the puck is gonna be and let's think about what models that are sort of all economy, all nature models together, what economists might think of as, as computable general equilibrium models and what ecologists might think of as ecosystem models. Well, it turns out like, I think those two things, this type of data will let those two things become one And we'll be able to make these really cool ecological forecasts that tell us what's going to happen in the economy and economic forecasts that'll bring nature along. And we will be in a much better forecasting place. But I think there's research to be done about let's start framing out those models.
0: Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, this has been fantastic talking to you, Eli Benichel. I, we always like to stop and end our podcast with a question that's more personal in nature. And that is what we call our top of the stack question. And we like to find out what it is that you're reading, watching, (laughs) a movie, a book. What's on the top of your stack, Eli?
1: So the the thing that's been on the top of my stack for a while now, because my stack goes down very slowly these days, is a book that uh, I think I got last holidays. I think it's called This Explains Everything. And it's a series of like 70, there are about two to three page essays from- Um, thinkers around the world, academics, writers, what have you, about what the most important sort of theoretical development that's guided them is. And it's just super cool. And I love the fact that they're two to three pages, and they're disconnected. So I can put it down and lose the book for a couple weeks, and then go back to it and not miss anything. But it's also just in this job at OSTP, like, oh, wow, that's a cool idea. Oh, wow, that's a cool idea. And one of the ones that has really stuck with me lately is that for a system to be intelligent, it has to make mistakes. We seem to have such a small tolerance for error in society today that everybody wants everything perfect now, yesterday. And what has made, I think, the United States great is our ability to innovate and learn. And that means we have to be comfortable with making mistakes and learning from them. And I see that in my child and I see that in society and I see, it just feels like everybody's tolerance for that is going down. But it's so true for us to have an intelligent system, we're gonna make mistakes and we, we need to make those mistakes because that's how we learn. And so I, I just think it's a cool it's a cool observation. And I think this comes from like somebody working on AI. So I just thought it was very cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Eli. That's good. We'll have to take a look at that. Eli, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really exciting conversation. And I hope everybody all of our listeners will take a look at the national strategy and um, really
1: appreciate your time. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And I do hope people look at the national strategy and can get as excited about it as I am.
0: You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, DC. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Lawson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.